What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 45 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. I'm Mike Johnston from MikeSelfless.com. My co-host who will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we have a ton of stuff to get to. Mike and I are going to discuss the first song that we learned note for note back when we were kids just starting out on this instrument. We're also going to talk about how to make a drum video. How do we take the audio that we're recording and sync that up with the video we're recording. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Josh Block. In the gear review section, Mike will check out some heisty 2002 Big Beat series symbols, and we'll get to a ton of you guys' listening questions. So let's get started. Episode 45 did almost did not happen. Yeah, you know, I gotta stop joking about your health, dude. <laughs> I think dude. last week I, I jinxed you. Dude, it's so funny, man. Like, I'm... Okay, this is our 67th camp, and this is the first time I've ever had to actually take a day off of camp. Um, I mean, because you can't take a day off of camp. These, I've got yeah. a guy here that flew from England. I've got somebody that came from Mexico. I've got people from the East Coast. You can't take a day off of a camp yeah, when it's right. only six days. Like, they paid so much money for this. And, uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I, I had a cold last week that I thought I'd be over by the time camp started. And it seemed like I kind of was. I, I was, you know, I mean, I had the sniffles and a cough, but whatever. Um, we're musicians. We get through that stuff. Right. And so then uh, two days ago, it was like in the middle or late, kind of late in the day, I we were doing an exercise in camp. And I just was like, man, I'm kind of achy. Like, And then it got progressively worse and worse. And then I was like, uh-oh, I think I – this isn't a cold. Like I might have the flu. And – um, oh, so God. by the time that I got home, I was incapacitated and I know it, I mean, just because this has happened twice in the podcast, <laughs> it seems like it always happens. I get sick like once a decade. Okay. But the problem is when I get sick, it's no joke. Yeah. Like I, that's why I don't want to call it the flu. I have influenza. It's influenza. bigger than the flu. <laughs> I have influenza type a, that's what the doctor told me. He raped my nose. I got so <laughs> violated at the doctor. He stuck this swab up my nose until it hit the back of my eye socket. And then he came back five minutes later and he's like, you have influenza type A, you need Tamiflu, you need to stay away from all humans. Uh I was like, that's not going to happen. I have to be back at work tomorrow. Thankfully, Eric Moore came in and saved the day. Uh, I called him. Well, I sent him a video at about 11 p.m. of me laying in bed. Just I couldn't even talk. And then he didn't respond. And Eric always responds. So I had to, like, send another text saying, hey, I didn't accidentally sext you from bed. You can watch that video. It's nothing bad. I <laughs> I sent that to you on purpose. And he's like, okay, man. And uh, so uh, I was like, hey, I've never been in this kind of shape. Is there any way you could take over for me tomorrow in camp? Just go in and solo your butt off for the campers. Give them some fireworks. If you can just get me, like, an extra three or four hours, I think I can – I can get up enough strength to do this and uh, and I, you know, wear a mask or whatever. And uh, he came in and did uh, a full session with the campers and then he did the live lesson at noon. And then wow. I was able to come back at two and just kind of get the campers working on some stuff. So, yeah, it's been a, a I didn't know. I don't think I've ever had the flu. It's it's way different than a cold. It's it's like it puts you down. I don't know. I mean, I've had stomach flu. I don't know that I've had a flu flu. Yeah. It, Influenza, it's, it's, if you will. I mean, it wiped out like a pretty <laughs> huge portion of the population <laughs> at one point in time. It's a bad, bad thing, man. Um, and so, yeah. So anyways, um, we've got, it's funny, all over camp, there's bottles of hand sanitizer. There's, uh, yeah. we, we bought the camp like masks. We bought everybody airborne so they can have their vitamins. It's out of control. So other than that, how's everything with you, man? I know that we almost didn't do this podcast because you had a crazy week. Yes. I mean, I, I was I was out at a session earlier that was in Brooklyn, so that took me out all day. So that was – oh, and, I, you know, I wanted to – last week I said I wanted to test whether whether playing in a real studio is any better oh, than yeah. playing at home. Oh, yeah. It's much, much. Is much, it really? Much, Is it much, really? <laughs> much, much, and much. I know, I know that the – multi-million dollar studio I was just in was far better than my little room here in Folsom but I was wondering how your experience would be because I mean honestly you've got your room pretty dialed so yeah but it doesn't it just doesn't compare I mean it first of all just to be able to show up and have the the drum set ready and have all this gear just at my disposal I didn't have to touch a microphone so to not not have to be an engineer at all I could just focus solely on performing and playing the drums yeah was amazing 
that oh, cool. that just doesn't happen to me anymore. So, and the sounds were just just ridiculous. I mean, they had them and the, so the engineer knew what he was doing and everything. Yeah, I mean, I used all their gear because I knew that they would know how. It, I mean, they had they had so much gear. They had like whatever dream snare drum you could think of was just within five feet of me. So, wow. I ended up settling on a. I think it was a six and a half by fifteen Ludwig from the twenties, chrome over really? brass. So yeah, single flange hoops. Wow, they really had everything, dude. It sounded like, like Steve Jordan fat, like insanely wow. good. And I didn't have to tune anything. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> it oh, was beautiful. Yeah. So to, so yeah, home studio versus real studio, no comparison whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, they 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 would all be gone if we could replace them. Yeah. Right? There, exactly. There's just not a plug-in that just says live room. I mean, and that's the thing is, luckily, we play an instrument that requires a, a good room, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's really important. So I'm glad you got to do that. So how did the overall session, how was your experience? Like, did you record well? Did you have everything down? Did yeah, I mean, it was it was a very stripped-down session. It was just a trio, just bass, drums, and a singer who was playing a nylon string guitar. So it was, okay. the first track was very kind of bossa nova-ish. But but not not like a strict Brazilian style, but in that flavor. Sure. So it was very light. I was playing shaker with one hand and rim clicks and stuff, like super light stuff. But it was great. I mean, we we played to a click track, but we didn't really need to. It was just for for arrangement purposes later if she wanted to cut sections or whatever. Um, it was great. I mean, the bass player and I have known each other since uh, 2003, so we just... Okay. Just show up and play, you know. Just show up and play, and it's where no questions asked. It was it was locked in immediately. That's cool, man. Yeah, and then we ended up. We had so much more time. We did another song that that the bass player and I had never heard. So we just kind of listened to it and figured out what we wanted to do and tracked it. So, so as far as your personal happiness meter, where does being in a studio and recording rank with live shows? Well, different types of live shows. Let's say like a, a full production show where you're playing 45 minute sets and you've got a full sound system. Um, that's probably like my my B my B okay. range. Studio okay. is definitely my A plus spot. But like club dates where you're playing like three sets of covers and the PA system, that would be like a C minus. C minus. <laughs> wow, that's that's funny. Yeah, studio. Uh, I mean, I felt completely comfortable. Some people kind of freak out as soon as someone says, "All right, we're rolling," but. For me, it's just that's that's when my brain says lock in. Let's get this done. I think that really is what separates a lot of people. It's not the drumming skills; it's the comfort level. Yeah. And whether you believe it or not, that comfort level can be heard through those microphones Definitely. because it's just until you relax. And you know, I, I was talking to somebody today in camp. They were asking about um, I was recording something for them, and they they said, "Man, you're so comfortable when recording." I was like, "No, no, no, I'm recording." while you're watching me it's more of a visual thing for me if it was only audio i'd be just as nervous as mm. as when i was 16 and the reason what kind of led me to realize that i'm just not meant to be a session player is when i first started recording in big studios and it was mainly just because my band got lucky we had a, a big record deal so we got to record in some great places but when i started working with real producers that really knew their stuff and they were kind of going from like okay i just did the Lyle Lovett album now I'm or the Chris Isaac album now I'm going to go record Mike's little rock band. Right. Um, I you know what was crazy is that when they would say that was a perfect take, I couldn't tell the difference between that take and the one that they said was crap. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't. I was like they. I was like okay, if you say so, I can't tell the difference at all. Like, and it was like, and the producers like, how did you not hear the difference between those two? And I'm like, you know, how scared I am right now. Like, <laughs> I just want it to be over, man. And so, you know, and then I would, and they would, they would let me go watch Josh Freeze. I mean, he's not much older than me. He was only a few years older than me, but he'd be recording in a different room. Yeah. And they'd say, you know, I'd, I'd walk in, he's recording, tracking, um, smoking a cigarette while tracking. And <laughs> awesome. they'd say, he's only heard this song one time through so far. And, he, and, it, and it would be like the, the keeper take. And I was yeah. like, wow, it's really a skill to be that comfortable. So it's cool to know that that's kind of like your... You know, if it was your choice, that's home base for you. You don't yeah, feel the I mean, nerves. And I've spent because I've spent the past ten years or so working on that skill that I don't I don't freak out when I hear the click track going anymore. I mean, I used right. to used to be afraid of like, am I going to speed up or, or is the engineer going to criticize me? But that, so you practiced it. Oh yeah, always. I like mean, every, I know that we all practiced it, but I mean, it wasn't natural for you from day one. 
No, I mean, just like anyone, you get it's the the fear of failure. I mean, as soon yeah. as that click track comes on, you're like, oh god, everyone's going to hear if I go off this click track, <laughs> you know. And and it took a while for me to just be confident as a human being to be like, all right, that engineer is not here to make me feel bad. He's here right. to make good music. We're all here for the same exact thing. So, right. If he points out one thing, like he pointed out something today, uh, what the heck was it? It was um, just the hi hat was a little bit too chunky. A okay. little bit too heavy. He's like, you know, it just it's a little bit too heavy. I'm like, all right, no big deal. Or yeah. don't don't do the rim click on this song. Okay, no big deal. I'll I'll cool. play with a brush. Like I yeah. don't I don't feel like he's dogging any, any, you. Yeah, it's, we're, the whole goal is to make the songs the music sound great. Right. So and the goal for you as a drummer is to be a chameleon. So when you get there, whatever they do want, and they have better ears than we do. That yeah. for the song that they that we can do whatever they want yeah. so that's yeah, awesome yeah, he didn't he didn't like my ride symbol i'm like okay whatever let's try a different one i don't care he's, a, he's like <laughs> if you don't have that transition ride then uh <laughs> we'll go grab one for you all right so i have a question for you my friend yes sir thinking back to when you were a child <clears throat> what is the first song that you learned note for note where you actually so not the first song you jammed to but where you were like i can play this entire song well i mean I don't know how accurate I was, but I would say... Right. Um, but, I mean, where you actually cared about the actual notes in the fills, you cared about where the crashes were, instead of just jamming over it. Uh, the, well, I mean, there's a, there was a time period when I was playing along to Living Color Vivid, front okay. to back, uh, Rush Presto, <laughs> front okay. to back, and wow. uh, what else was there? The Ramones, uh, Road to Ruin. Um, and are, are you a teenager at this time, or are you a child? I would have been probably 11, 10 or 11. Okay. And um, Poison. Yep. Whatever Look that. Look what the cat dragged in. Well, yeah. Is that uh, the one? Yeah. Is that the record? That had well, Unskinny Bop on it? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, out of the car, long hair. Um, yeah. I, dude, I learned. That That to me was huge because mm-hmm. I, I, was a, I wrote Ricky Rocket a letter. Nice. Um, and my grandma wrote me back from oh, him. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, but I wrote Ricky Rock in the letter, and every year at NAM, like, Amber will be like, go talk to him. I'm like, I'm not going to go talk to him. I'm, I'm a man. Wait, you haven't talked to Ricky Rocket yet? <laughs> never. I've never even met him, no. Oh, come on. I wrote him a letter when I was like six, I think. Um, I was like, and, it, and I think my grandma still had the letter and then gave it to my mom, and it literally said, like, uh, Mr. Rocket, <laughs> I if I could ever be half as good as you one day, I would be happy with the rest of my entire life. And That's it was awesome. like, I just thought he was a, you know, because how do you know? How, how yeah. would you know? You're a kid. Um, so, yeah, I, I worked on that record. I think the first song that I, I'm trying to think, um, I think I got a lot of um, surf stuff from my parents. Mm, so okay. I think like, um, I think my dad really pushed pet sounds on me. Um, I don't remember if a uh, little little surfer girl is on there, um, but there was. I remember learning a lot of Beach Boys songs note for note. Interesting, and um, they're hard to hear the drum parts. It was really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. So I learned Beach Boys stuff. Then he. Then I got hooked on, you know, Billy Cobham, but I couldn't play it. Yeah, I remember learning. Uh, what was it? Uh, Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. I remember yeah. learning that note for note. Okay. Because uh, I could hear the drum part, yeah. um, all the way until the end where it goes into double time, and then yeah, I think um, probably after that would be Epic by Faith No More. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and then um, yeah, but it, it's kind of weird. Like at some point, I stopped learning songs note for note and started learning the essence of the groove that was mm. contained in the song. But I I, I developed this weird aversion to learning fills like i felt like it was the art that i didn't i didn't want to learn the fill it was like okay what's the essence of the fill i'll practice that but i don't want to just keep plagiarizing these fills which it's not i mean i think there's so much that can be learned from transcribing that stuff yeah exactly but in rock it wasn't quite the same as transcribing like an elvin jones thing where you're finding a motif and you're finding something that could really change your playing it felt like i was actually stealing this two beat to possibly one measure moment of of epicness you know um, yeah yeah well i guess you can everyone has to go through that oh i remembered another one there's a kiss song lover all i can it has like <laughs> has a cowbell beat and some really cool little, <laughs> little one bar one or two bars so i mean i'm like 10 years old playing a song right called that, that's what i want to talk about yeah i'm not talking about us proving how rad we are where it's like well i got into you know dave weckles live and unplugged like i'm no. talking about the kiss. goofy crap 
Yeah. Well, see, my uncle is how old is he? He's, I guess he's probably fifteen years older than me. So my first band was with him, and it was oh, all really? okay. maybe he's like thirteen years older than me. So all the music of his generation was the you know late seventies, early eighties. So we right. played ACDC, we played Kiss, we played oh I learned Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin note for note. Nice, pretty wicked. Some of those those yeah. entrances are weird. Um, and, so and funny. Live and Love and Made. We did both those in a row. I, I learned uh, Heartbreaker by Joan Jett. That was <laughs> one of my first songs that I learned because um, it had like halftime in it. And um, is that Joan Jett? Is it or is it or the Pat Pat Ben? No, is it Pat, Pat Benatar. Benatar. Pat yeah. Benatar. That's what yeah. it is. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I mean, I got in my first cover band when I was eleven. My mom put me in her real estate. Friends cover band. Uh, nice. She was a real estate agent, and they lost their drummer. And it was like this, like shtick. Well, why don't you have an eleven-year-old drummer until you find a real drummer? But it was a working cover band, so I, we had, I had to learn like three hundred. Uh, what's that band with uh, Fleetwood Mac tunes? All that kind wow, of stuff. I can't remember any of those. Are also similar to dude. Me. It's and I was trying so hard to like keep my food down. It's like I'm sorry, as an 11 year old, it's nothing against Fleetwood Mac, but as an 11 year old, that's yeah. not what I didn't want to be playing that and girlfriend or um, uh, Blue Bossa, and, yeah, or no yeah. Blue Bayou, all that crap. It's like, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we all went through it, but I think you know what's funny is I think that just like for me, it was Ricky Rocket. I think your favorite drummer, usually in the very beginning, is the drummer for whatever band you're into, just by default. And yeah. then it slowly stems into you realizing, oh, I could like a drummer that's even in a band that I don't even like. You yeah. Know? Um, I mean, I think every favorite drummer that I have right now at one point played for Steely Dan. I don't um, own a single Steely Dan album. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. I'm not a fan of the band, but I love everyone that's ever played drums for them. Yeah, the music um, so. is not your thing. I mean, that's that's such a New York City kind of band. Like, oh. <laughs> and I don't like it either, but <laughs> hey, all, easy. You know? <laughs> We're gonna get some wrath, dude. Steely Dan fans—they're like like Bieber's fans. They're crazy about that stuff. Every time I've ever mentioned it, like Chris Brady from Aquarian comes after me. He's like, "You don't understand." And I'm like, "Whoa, easy." I just just telling you what I like and what I don't like. I it's hear it. Of it's an like, era. I mean, you can't remove exactly. it from the era. Just yeah, like you it can't is. remove uh, poison from 1987. I mean, right, that's exactly. The but the difference between poison is when I listen now to poison, I don't think that the drum the drum parts are like epic and life changing. When I listen to Steely Dan now, I still recognize the brilliance in the drum parts. Yeah, in the recordings <laughs> in general. Yeah, everything about exactly. It is so yeah, pristine. I see it. I just it's kind of like hey, you know, it's not my thing. All right, so. <laughs> Let's so, get into some edge of what? What were you going to say? Let's say what What were we going to talk about with this whole topic? Oh, <laughs> I just I just was curious because it was like <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, my childhood and like how little I knew about the drum world. So when I learned songs as a child, I started when I was five. I learned songs because I because I learned them. I didn't learn them to prove to my friends that I could play YYZ by Rush. You know, were there, any, like, were there any lessons that have stuck with you? I can think of one. And for me was. I'm left-handed, and I naturally played left-hand lead, but until I had to learn Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2, that was a song that I decided it will be much easier if I learn how to play this right-hand lead. And oh, I changed. Wow. I changed. Now I'm a right-hand lead drummer. I don't, I don't leave wow. my left naturally at all anymore. Wow. So that song um, is what changed it for me. Yeah, I, I know that um, Studio by Phil Collins. Um, yeah. might be Genesis. I think it's Phil, though. Uh, but Studio um, was where I learned kind of the – half molar method where instead of playing all of my hi-hats at one dynamic range it was a down up motion because i couldn't get through the whole song oh, okay. just chunking away at the hi-hats so eventually i started getting this down up down up down up um songs like that and uh yeah i'm trying to think um i mean there were parts in rush that it was like all of a sudden what people would call bonham triplets well maybe i hadn't heard led zeppelin yet but i had i had heard tom sawyer and i had to do the and I was like, how the hell? Uh, and then you start going right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left. And you're like, oh, my God, I can do this. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's so many lessons inside songs when you first start out with drums. And I think, <coughs> excuse me, um, I think there's just something to be said for that innocence before YouTube, before anything where it was like, when people ask, like, well, how did you do this? And it's like, I don't know, man. I sat in a garage and I did it. <laughs> yeah. There was no, I mean, I, I don't know. You had to make a choice at that time. Are you going to skateboard or are you going to play drums? And I, I was drumming. Like, yeah. I don't know. You just do it. And I don't, I don't know how we reincorporate that into people's kind of 
journey on this instrument of like, hey, it's cool that you have all this access. I'm hell, I'm part of it. I'm glad that you have access to online education. But I also just want you to jam, man. I want you to find I want you to walk around your block and hear some dude playing bass guitar and knock on his door and be like, Hey, I play drums, can we jam someday? I mean, that's how I found my first couple people that I ever jammed with. They played guitar in an apartment complex near my house. Yeah. Well, for me, it was it was a bunch of kids skateboarding, and I, I played drums. So I'm like, okay, you're going to be my bass player. Just right. figure it out. And then yeah. so I had a bass player, a guitarist, and my other buddy who was actually my best friend. is like, well, what am I going to do? Well, <laughs> grab a microphone. You're going to sing. <laughs> and, we, and we started a punk band. I mean, Dude, <laughs> and that's – I mean, I think – I just think there's a lot of value in that. I, I've taught a few people – um, that they've been campers, then they've been online students, and now they're campers again. And when I see them, you know, I have to tell them, look, as much as I want to be able to tell you that I can fix this all for you and I can do everything, there's nothing I could ever teach you that would be as valuable if, as if you could just have one year in an original band. If you could yeah, just true. sit in a room with people and make music and have them <clears> look at you wrong when you play the fill in the wrong spot and then have them give you a happy look when you play the crash in the right spot. I, I can't teach you that stuff. Like yeah, you just true. sometimes have to do it. And I just don't want people to ever lose sight of that. I love that people play drums just to play them, but man, uh, just what we can do with this instrument and how we communicate with other human beings. It can be really cool. And looking back on the fact that you were working on living color songs at the same time I was, and yeah. we both had, we just wanted to play it. Just exactly. For the, it wasn't so that we could cover it and put it on YouTube. There was no YouTube. And that yeah. was another huge breakthrough for me was the getting the hi-hat involved in the ride cymbal patterns. Like, yeah. Will Calhoun taught me that. Like, I'd, I'd never heard anyone or seen anyone play the hi-hat with the left hand mm-hmm. in between the ride bell and stuff. So that was that became part of my vocabulary until very recently when I decided to just stop doing that. <laughs> I mean, right. very recently. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, man. It's funny. So, I, 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 uh, I think the <clears throat> intro for this podcast has that. It has like the Weckleish version of that little five stroke roll yeah. at, on the downbeat of every second measure um, going go. into one. And yeah. so it's like, you know, I mean, that's, but I, but it's funny, even when I do that now, 20 something years later, it's still, though, I still am referring it for myself as the Weckl version of it because uh, yeah. I got it from somewhere, you know? Yeah. And, and that's another thing, you know, too, that uh, I see people get really territorial of licks and chops sometimes. And you have to realize that chop, it exists in it as itself it is what it is but it came from wherever you got it from so some people will say like you know if i show them the groove freedom thing they're like oh you mean like the language of drumming you know by benny greb and i'm right, like yeah right. or gary chester's new breed or every <clears throat> permutation that's yeah. ever but you know it's like but to them they're like no no benny invented this you know yeah. or or the worst is if they're like yeah your your groove freedom system I'm like, whoa easy that's, <laughs> that's just a permutation man like i didn't make that up so, all right. Well, let's talk about something a little kind of educational, which is making a drum video. You and I both make a lot of drum videos. And I think a lot of people, at least when I'm dealing with them face to face, they're always asking, what is your process of getting the audio synced with your video? And they think they think I have like the mixing board going straight into the camera. They don't understand uh-huh. that it's two separate things. Um, so I'm not talking about somebody that might be using a GoPro and just using that audio, but if they have a full-on interface and they're recording great audio, and then they want to get that in line with their video camera, I wanted to talk about our two separate processes. I'm sure our two processes are very similar. Yeah. Um, but how do you make your videos? Um, well, now I do. I, I record the audio with my full studio setup with multi okay. mics, you know, and I, I mix it separately as audio, you know, not involving the video at all. So I just right. mix it as if it's an audio recording. Um, so what I do is I start the cameras, um, I start the computer to record the audio, and then I just click my sticks together in sight of the two cameras, and I use that as my spike for aligning it later. When I was using iMovie, I had to actually go in and drag the audio to line up with the audio of the camera on that spike, okay. which was painstaking. Yep. But now I use Final Cut Pro, and it does it automatically with a it's like multi-cam clip. You create a multi-cam clip with all your yep. video and audio, and it just... I haven't had one instance of it not syncing up perfectly. So Final Cut will just do it automatically. But yeah. So even as far as software, so you're using, um, what's your audio program again? I use Ableton Live. So you're using Ableton Live for audio, and then you're using um, Final Cut Pro. Yep, and that's it. Cool. 
Yeah, and it just syncs right up. And then I, right now, what is your camera? What is it? Canon T3i for the main, and I have a GoPro overhead. Wow, man. Yeah, that's it. funny. You get some great quality out of that. Yeah, well, it, it's took. I mean, I'm in the process of getting new lights, so that that's a whole new learning curve. Like, I thought yeah. I had them dialed in, but I was using halogen lights, <coughs> and those suckers suck. I mean, they they burn out fast. They're hot. Yes. I've yeah. had them blow up on me in the middle of sessions like too many times. I just bought, so I got a light kit with soft you, boxes. Oh, nice. That that'll yeah. be great. Yeah, yeah, and it, it'll spread it out. It'll make everything more even. There won't be so much harshness in the shadows on your face and stuff. Yeah. It'll. And it'll it'll give you more flexibility in Final Cut Pro to get the color correction the way you want it as mm. well. So that'll that'll be good. You ever had any yeah. issues with mixing lighting? Because I tried oh, uh, yeah. using one softbox with the halogen lights, and it, it made me look green like a zombie. Yep. Exactly. It yeah, no, it's a, it's a bad idea. <laughs> um, it doesn't work. Yeah, I've I've spent a lot of money on having to go through and um, make all the lighting the same temperature. You know, okay. Um, and I even bought for a while. I had LED panels that had a temperature dial on them, and I could never. So you could go from really warm, really yellow, all the way to really cool, really blue. Yeah. And I was never in that dial able to find the match to the softbox lights that I had, which were um, really? just fluorescents. Yeah. So yeah. So now I just have fluorescent light boxes. There's no heat coming off of them. Um, and they, and they work great. So it doesn't take a lot, you know, and I'm going through pretty much the same process. I have two cameras going all the time. They're both Canon C100s. Uh, one is on an automatic slider that just goes back and forth on the side of my kit. One is on a crane and I'm not using it as a crane. I'm just using it as like an extended tripod so I can get the camera on the front of my kit fairly close, but the, the playing of my drum set won't shake it because mm. the tripod itself is actually back about seven feet away okay. from the drum set. So that's why it's on a crane. So I have that set up. Um, I actually kind of do what you do, but I've done it for, or what you used to do, but I've done it for so long it takes me no time. But I press record on both cameras. I press record on uh, sonar or whatever audio program I'm using that day. I mm. go to the kit. I hit two snare drums really loud. Those give me my peaks. Uh, so I can line everything up and then, um, yeah. And then I record everything and then I take, uh, the two, what do you have? I guess you have your memory cards. I take those, dump those onto the computer, bring that into Adobe premiere. Um, I mix down the audio. So it's just a separate audio track. And then I just match it all up, delete the audio after it's all lined up, delete the audio from the cameras. And then I'm set to go to cut between camera angles and it's it's fine. So it just takes a little bit of practice, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. You can. I used to back in the day, my original YouTube videos. I was going. It was a horrible way to do it, but I was going out of my mixing board into a quarter inch cable down to an eighth inch adapter that would go straight into the side of my camera. Yeah, I tried um, that. That doesn't really work too good. No, it's <laughs> so hard. You have to have your mixing board so low to not clip the camera. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, but um. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you do whatever you have to do, but it's really not that tough anymore. I mean, right now, if you wanted a simple way to record your videos and you just had a GoPro and then, you know, a two mic and an interface, it's really not that hard. You end up you press record on your audio interface um, on your on your DAW and then you end up with a nice, beautiful track of audio and you just sync it to the video. Does and Premiere is, do it automatically? You know, it does have a, uh, a thing for that. I just don't remember what it's called. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I like I said, I just I've been doing it the same way for so long. It's just kind of easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, one thing Premiere does have that I, I don't know if Final Cut has it because I just don't use it. But you can dump when I do like maybe say four camera angles, you can dump them all into one thing, and then press play. It, it syncs them all up, and then it'll give you like a four camera angle box. And you just press play, and whatever angle you click on, it it cuts that all together. Yeah, that's what so that's what Final like, Cut does. Okay, so it's like live mixing in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Then you can go back and adjust it by, like, just whatever you call that, pulling the end of the clip. Yeah, just right. dragging it over. Dragging. Yeah, it's, so it's kind of nice. I mean, but I, I'm using two angles generally for all of my stuff now, so it's not too bad. I, I would say the biggest fear is 
falling in love with the stuff too much and then you start obsessing over lenses and camera bodies and yeah. should I I should get 4K and I heard Sony just came out it's like ah slow down um <laughs> you know I mean you're you have a T3i yeah, so they're exactly. they're on T7i now I think and I bought T6i. yeah I bought it used for like 350 bucks I think and you got that 50 mil lens right yeah I got a 50 and mil the and the yeah the regular lens I have, I don't use the 50 for what I'm doing now but right I probably actually might start using it to get close up on the snare for snare demos. Yeah, it's more of just kind of an artistic lens or a close yeah. up lens. But um but no, I mean that's that's kind of all you need really. Yeah, I, I think mean, it's the GoPro I, is shockingly decent. Uh, I mean I, yes. what I've learned is the I need a lot more light. It's like I yes. was getting just a lot of like artifacts in the blacks Noise. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, GoPros flourish in lights cuz they're meant to be outdoors. They're X game cameras, you know. They're meant to be have you know just a grip load of sunlight poured on them and they still look great. So the more light you can have, the better a GoPro is going to look. They're definitely not low light cameras. And that's one thing I don't have a ton of light in here. Um, and the Canon C 100s, that's Canon's first step as you're going up. It's the step after DSLRs where it's not a camera anymore. It won't take pictures. It's like their first video camera, mm-hmm. but you can use that thing at nighttime and it's still, there's almost no noise. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it's an incredible low-light camera, so I really like that camera. Cool. Nice. Well, hopefully we can do more tutorials on this stuff and get a little bit more into the minutia of making videos because you and I make a lot of videos, so anything we can do to help our listeners out would be great. Now it's time to check out our featured artist. This week's featured artist is Mr. Josh Block. Mike, bring the information. <laughs> you know, this is actually... If, you, if if I go back to when I was originally subscribing to Modern Drummer, it was because of guys like him that 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 made me want to read it every month because I had no idea who the hell these people were. I was just opening right. a magazine like, who is Dave Weckl? Why is he in all these ads? Right. Can I read about this guy? <laughs> who the heck is he? So when he was finally like on the cover or whatever, it was like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Josh, I mean, he's he's not unknown. He, um there's a band out of Austin called White Denim that if you're in the indie rock kind of scene, the kind of rootsy Americana indie rock scene, they're they're huge in that in that world. Um, he's currently out with Leon Bridges, who's like a new like classic soul singer. Okay. Uh, so his current gig, I believe he's out with him currently. If he's not out with him currently, he was on his record, I believe. But that's like traditional old school soul, like a lot of 12-8, a lot of you know, Al Green sounding stuff, but white denim is a band. If you haven't heard them, you have to check them out because they are really the drums are like the lead instrument almost, but it's oh, very, really? it's very melodic, catchy, very smart, very creative, um, and pretty damn wild. I mean, he's gone off on the drums in almost every song, but it's all done with that kind of rootsy, you know, no synthesizers it's all guitar bass drums keyboards it's all real drumming they probably didn't record to a click they probably didn't edit anything he's using vintage sounding drums vintage sounding cymbals but he's kind of going crazy kind of like an elvin jones it's almost like if if the eagles and 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 john coltrane kind of mixed up and wrote songs it's really, really it's really kind of hard to describe i mean it's they're a great band so and they're they're kind of like a musician's band like glenn kochi from wilco told me i had to check this guy out okay because they kind of have that vibe like a wilco kind of like artsy but still kind of rootsy i'm checking him out online i don't have the issue in front of me so maybe you know but is he endorsed by a drum company he's playing a different kit in every picture that i find of him um Uh, he might i think he endorses cnc drums okay um and istanbul he definitely istanbul agop cymbals Okay. Definitely. And he's, so he, and he's playing innovative percussion sticks, Remo heads. So it's all kind of tastemaker kind of stuff, using the, yeah. the, the Canopus lightweight cymbal stands. I mean, it's all – the CNC kit is a maple gum kit. It's got the stick saver hoops on it. He uses like a, a Black Beauty type snare. So, I mean, his gear is just like really tasty kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, artsy, well-chosen. Yeah. That's very cool, man. Um, I definitely want to get into it. I'm bummed that – you know, <clears throat> when we do these rundowns, for those of you out there that are listening, um, you know, generally it's in a normal work week for Mike and I, and we have time to go 
gangbusters on our research and everything. And, you know, I'm in the middle of a drum camp. And then with this flu, this is just one of those things where I just didn't have time to check this guy out. And now that I'm like kind of in the moment researching him, I want to learn more about him for sure. And I want to check out White Denim. Yeah, White Denim is a good band to just to kind of get into you can kind of pick any record any track because like the, the singer writes really good melodies the lyrics are really smart i mean it's it's one of those bands i mean it's like a will if you like wilco or you know wilco it's similar to that but okay. probably probably just a little bit more crazy <laughs> they go a little bit wilder that's awesome man well i look forward to checking it out and maybe i can uh next week give you my review on uh on white denim and, and what i found it to be like so really? Awesome. Okay, well, let's get into some candy. This is a company that I played for for 14 years before moving to Minel, and I still have huge, huge love for them. Uh, the company is Peisty, and you reviewed uh, the Peisty 2002 Big Beat series symbols. Yep. Uh, what symbols did you review? Everything. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so they sent me 15 and 16. These are all, I mean, they're called Big Beat, so there's nothing smaller than a 15-inch. <laughs> oh, wow. 15 and 16-inch hi-hats, um, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 24-inch, whatever they are. You want to call them, crash rides. Yeah, sure. Multi-purpose. Symbols. Yeah. Uh, so they're made with the, two, the 2002 uh, B8 bronze, but they're treated more like the 20 series. So oh, they're, they're okay. very heavily hammered and, and they're thinner. So they're kind of, I mean, the best way I can describe it is it's like if, uh, who was it the other week? Was it talking about burying his symbols? Oh, remember? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. Sorry, sorry, I can't remember your name. But if if you would bury your giant beats for 25 years, they would come out like the big beats. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's I mean, cool. So they're. But they're still peisty, so they're like totally replicated, perfect every time. Yeah, I mean, they're they're. <laughs> Yeah, part of the problem with some of the handmade stuff is not not Peisty, other brands is it's just inconsistent, right? Of course, so you, you never know what you're going to get. But these across the board, it was like every crash had the same characteristics. It was like a really clean, warm, expressive, soft crash, sparkly ride, but 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 dark, um, and they just were. It was just basically like different pitches of the same okay. type of symbol. But these are. Like I bought a set of Giant Beats ten years or so ago, and I loved them, but they aren't complex enough for me. They aren't warm and rich enough for me. These have all of that, so um, they're kind of like for me the perfect like rock and roll, all-purpose sound, kind of like the white denim sound. So it's it's earthy, it's rich, but it's it's not trashy, it's not funky, it's very smooth right. and clean, and they felt great. They felt awesome, really man. nice, so yeah, they're they're worth checking out. I, I would assume if you were still a Peisty artist, you would be using these. This would, these would be my jam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very cool. And yeah, because I remember when the twenty series came out, I loved everything about it except for how thick they were. They were yeah, these are like shockingly thin. thick. Yeah. Oh, so this is it. This is yeah, great because the twenties when you hit them, they like it felt like they they were like. They just it didn't open up as much as you wanted to, right? No, I felt like they were mad at me. Like I got yeah. a tennis elbow from the other <laughs> you know. Um, These are like you just breathe on them, and they're like, "Yes, here's some sound for you." Oh, cool. <laughs> I can't wait. I'll call uh, Chris at mine. I'll let him know I'm heading back to Pisces. Perfect. This is gonna go great. <laughs> Man, I've I've had so many times because of how people people call me out. They're like. Hey, you seem to be really excited about those Dunnett snare drums, you know? And I'm like, oh, you do know that like. My love for drums and cymbals overrides all endorsements. Like yeah. I'm a fan of drums. I'm a fan of cymbals. Of course, I have to pick, you know, my top favorites that that are my endorsements. But I still I don't want to ever get to the point where I look down on something else or I'm closed off to something else just because it's made by a manufacturer that is different than mine. You know? Yeah, right. Um, and just... I I also don't want to even get closed off by my previous thoughts of those companies. Like I always want to be open to like, well, let me hear what the new pearl snare sounds like i don't know yeah. you know yeah exactly um people are always trying to step it up and i think that that's a great way to to kind of for both you and i is to always be i kind of feel like i have my endorsements but in the end i'm endorsed by drums and cymbals i like yeah. drums and cymbals you gear yeah i like, I like gear and gear <laughs> yeah. exactly i like craftsmanship um i like it in everything not just in drums so um i, I look forward to checking these out for sure so and so what are you pl- gonna play for us in the sound clip Oh, I don't remember what it is. <laughs> oh, nice. How long ago was it when you reviewed these? 
Uh, it was right after Nam, so. <laughs> I'll die if I laugh. Don't ever make me laugh. No, no, no more. <clears throat> it was so, probably uh, probably right February. It was February. Yeah, February. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, 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 good stuff. Son of a gun. <laughs> Biscuits and buttercups. All right. Well, let's uh, let's give these a listen. Now let's get into some of our listener questions. These are piling up, and so Mike and I made an executive decision the other week through text that uh, episode fifty will be completely dedicated to listener questions. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, oh, was that I, official, or was that just you and I just talking via text? No, it was official. I think, and okay. we never discussed it, but we might as well just say I think maybe we should ask people to submit their questions via voice, and then we'll play the oh, question awesome. on the show. So I if would you love that. Just record your question, email it over to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. That way we can get your voice into the show. And that could be the way we do this moving forward if it goes well. That would be great. And I just can't wait to see what type of editing nightmare that creates for you. Fantastic. <laughs> way to make more work for yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, don't make me laugh, man. <laughs> there's, a cave- <clears throat> there's a caveat here. I mean, <laughs> no profanity. No yeah. dogs barking in the background. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> don't don't have right. your window down on the freeway and try to. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. All right, All right what do so we got? Yeah, we'll just go through a couple of them. So this one came in from Todd Mitchell. He hey, um, he was just at camp. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, he's from Canada. So he says, um, amongst other things, his question is: When incorporating creative ideas into structured songs, whether it's rock, country, but not jazz. How often do you spontaneously alter the beat or use a fill created in real time? Is this something you hone on your own in practice? Is it something you test out with the band in rehearsal and then polish? Or do you just wing it every time? Um, he's recalling a comment you made that the band will be happier if the more consistent the drummer is, but he's wondering if that would potentially remove some of the spark. Wow, that's, that's a great... Yeah, I think when I was talking to him... I, I think that I was letting the campers know how important initial consistency is with a groove, with feel, with tempo. Like when you create something consistent, it actually takes away the need for you to be amazing because you have to understand that the musicians that are surrounding you, they have their own egos and they would love to sound better on their instrument when they play with you. They're not wishing for you to be the greatest drummer in the world behind them. So when you have something – if I let's say I'm the bass player. If you're playing the coolest groove in the world, but it keeps changing, I really don't even know how to start to play with you. But if you play the simplest groove on the planet, the one we all learn, our first drum beat, as long as you repeat it, I can create any bass line I want around that. I need consistency so that I can count on you. So I think that that more applies to the overall sense of the grooves, 
Um, the feel, the, the feel has to be consistent. The tempo has to be consistent. Consistency just breeds confidence through everyone around you. Once you've achieved that, I feel like, you know, that you kind of know those moments where it's like, there's drum fills that are literally part of the composition. And then there are drum fills where it's like, I just need to span beats three and four, getting us into the chorus. I think those could be improvised every night. Yeah. Every single time. But then there's some that where it's like, okay, the crowd's going to air drum this with me because it's part of the song. You don't yeah. improvise the intro to In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. Right. You know? yeah. It's not, <laughs> you know, the crowd would all fall down because they're, they're ready for it. But, you know, that, so I, what do you think about that? Well, I think you have to be careful not, not to confuse um, free and, and, you know, being free to express yourself with being complex and trying to be impressive. So, I mean, you should feel free to embellish your fills every time, but embellish doesn't mean play more notes. It just means maybe this time you do the snare drum and rack tom, the next time you just do the floor tom, next time you put a hi-hat note in there. But it doesn't mean if you're improvising your fills that you're trying to be impressive. I mean, a fill, in my mind, has a function of transitioning to another section. It's alerting the audience. It's alerting your bandmates. Something's about to happen musically. So we are agreeing that in two beats from now, something's going to change. Yeah. So if the next section is more intense, then your fill has to build the intensity. But if you're coming out of the bridge to a down course, you can't play a big triplet fill and then like drop the bottom out. You have to bring. So I think being creative with your dynamics is just as important as being creative with the notes. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've played 40 and the fills <laughs> like a bazillion times, but they always sound different because of where do I put the accent? Where do I shape right. it? How intense is it? Is it going loud to soft? Is it going soft to loud? But it's still just for Eanda. Right. Do you crash at the end of it or do you not crash because you're going into a verse that's quiet? Right. Or do you hit like Um, a a real sharp hi-hat bark to bring the the volume down immediately? Right. So I think I don't play the same fills intentionally every time, but I also don't intentionally say I'm never going to play the same fill twice. Yeah, I mean, I don't know in a... If I was in a cover band, I don't know that I could play the same fill twice because I don't give them that type of importance note for note i give the importance to the length of the fill and the dynamic nature of the fill but i don't give a lot of importance to the notes like i wouldn't know if i ghosted this or ghosted that or accented that i you know um unless like i said unless it's part of the composition where that fill was you know an ensemble figure that's totally different um but yeah i think that that kind of stuff can totally be improvised you know um you just don't want to sound like your band is playing a song and you're jamming behind them yeah yeah you Um, can't be constantly changing i mean but then again if like we just talked about white denim and and he's he's ripping throughout the entire thing but that is a conscious decision for that band like the drums are going to be a very important element of this band where they're creating just as much melodic interest and contour as anybody else right you can't do that if you're playing with the Ramones, right? If Marky yeah. Ramone didn't play that same beat in every song, you'd be like, "Who is this jackass trying to trying to show up you know, to Ramones?" And there's there's bands that make you think it is the other way, but like a band like Mute Math, where it's like, "Oh, that guy's just going off," and it's like, uh, "No, it's literally the same." Like, yeah, he just I mean, he's playing that. riffs. Yeah, but that part he worked it out. So yeah. it really depends on what you're playing in the situation, and it depends too. I mean, it you know. You know we're not the only ones that fill, right? I mean, bass players fill, guitar players kind of noodle around. Vocalists sometimes fill. Yeah, totally. So So if there's a little bit of, like, looseness going on, it's like, okay, I see. I see what's going on here. (laughs) I'm getting a little saucy sauce. But, you know, if everybody's playing very stiff, it's just something you feel out. And the other thing, too, is just keep your eyes open, Todd. Look around your bandmates. When you do those things that you're kind of nervous about, look how the other people around you respond. If they give you that nod of, like, yeah, that was awesome, that'll give you confidence to do that. And if they just all keep their eyes down, it's because they don't want to make eye contact with you and tell you that you are driving them nuts. Yeah, I mean, so. the, <laughs> the biggest advice I could say is the last thing you should do is listen to your drums while you're playing. Your ears mm. should be locked into yeah. everyone else, almost to the point where you don't even hear yourself. Great like you should be listening to that singer so much that you know is phrasing, so you're not going to play a fill that's going to step over top of him. Maybe yeah. this, this, the first verse into the first chorus, he leaves a nice two-beat break. Well, then you do it. Second time, maybe he has a vocal line that goes all the way to the chorus. Well, if you play a fill, you're just mm-hmm. smashing all over the lyrics. So yeah. that's something I learned from playing jazz, which is, like, for the most part, play whatever you want, whenever you want, at all times. 
Well, the only way to make order out of that is if you're listening to what everybody else is doing more than you're listening to yourself to find yeah. your holes, your space. So don't listen to yourself. Don't even think of it as a fill. Just listen to the music, and it will tell you yeah. exactly what to do. There's Every no better time. compliment than when somebody tells you, "Man, you have really big ears." Like, yeah. and they, you know, they mean it on a musical sense. <laughs> right. But it's like, wow, man, that feels so good that yeah. you realized how much I was listening. All right, yeah. next question. Cool. This comes in from Bill Michael. He um, he has a question about the inside of drums. He says we've talked about heads and shell compositions and everything, but we haven't talked about how the inside of the shell affects the sound. So. Mm. Um, he was referencing when you were talking about not using clear heads because your drums look like, like a garage sale on the inside. With the <laughs> Do you remember, you remember talking about that? <laughs> Dude, you can't make me laugh. Um, you were talking about the broadcasters having the big muffler thing in there. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. He didn't want to use clear heads because he'd be looking yeah. like a garage sale all day long. It did look kind of weird in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. So this question I, I, is. He has a Rogers kit from the 70s, and it has the original memory lock hardware, which is pretty big and chunky. Yep. And the insides are painted with silver-flecked paint. Yep. Um, and the, the Rectom mount extends the full diameter of the kick drum. Yeah, so the mount is really big on it, on the inside. So he wants to know our thoughts on how the inside of the shell affects the tone. Definitely uh, affects it, for sure. Um, the, I mean, I the paint, I, I think we can all agree the paint doesn't really do much. <laughs> no. Um, and even DW at some point started on their snare drums finishing them with a full clear lacquer. I don't uh -huh. know if you remember that, but that was like a, a change that they made. And they just said it doesn't affect the sound enough for us to not do it because of how much it protects the wood for oh, the next 40 or 50 years. So we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, I was like, wait a minute, that that has to affect the sound. Like I had this raw piece of wood and now it's shiny like a piece of glass. And they said in their test, it, it didn't affect it enough to warrant not doing it. And yeah. it just, it protected the drum. So they wanted to do it. But I do remember this and you, I'm sure, did you ever have an export? Oh yeah. So when you would put that Pearl Tom arm, you'd tune your 10 or your 12, yeah, yeah. it would sing for an hour. You put the Tom arm through it and it would go like, mm-hmm. So putting stuff in your drum definitely affects it for sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think you said he has a Rogers. <clears throat> he has like an old Rogers kit from 78. And I, I know the exact kit he's talking about. So the hardware is, is pretty big. It's pretty yeah. chunky. I mean, I, but at the same time, it's kind of like that is what that drum set came with. That's how yeah. it sounded. That's, that's what gives it its character. So, you know, um, I, I'm, I've tried to – I've learned my lesson – from trying to make certain drums become what they weren't naturally meant to do and how it always failed for me. Yeah. Like I'm going to make this piccolo into a fat 14 by nine. It's like, no, you're not. It, <laughs> it just isn't. And so that Rogers, you know, it's like, that's kind of what it is. It came with that hardware and it, it, it sounds like that. I mean, yeah, what are your thoughts? Like, I mean, you can always put a rims mount or something like the export is a perfect example where those drums with the with the original hardware it wasn't like it had a, a vibe that was like oh that's the pearl export vibe like let's right. let's not mess with that <laughs> right so i replaced those mounts with the whatever their i i think it was called iss mounts or yep. something independent night and day. system yeah, night and day difference so that will definitely help so if you're having trouble with your rogers not speaking enough and being kind of choked then get rid of those tom arms and try rims mounts or something um yeah I have my Ludwig kit set up right now, and it has the original batter heads on it. Actually, it has the original heads top and bottom, and it has the the mount right on the side of the shell, and it has one of those, the broadcaster-style rail mount uh -huh. thing. And that thing makes it choke out, but that's part of the Ludwig sound. Totally. Ludwig toms are not supposed to ring for days. It's, it's supposed to be kind of a punchy, blunt, hit-and-get-out-of-the-way sound. So I don't want to change that. That's kind of what I'm saying is like, I mean, you know, that that might be the characteristic of that drum set. And like you said, I mean, you can always it. Yeah, it's tough when you hold your drum up in the air when you're tuning it and you're like, dude, that's home run right there. And then yeah. you mount it and it goes. Yeah. And I mean, that still happens on my broadcaster, you know, a little bit. But it like you said, it's kind of like that's what it sounds like. Um, well, yeah, that's but, the broadcaster sound. Yeah, exactly. So, But the cool. inside paint, I mean, I don't know if if the companies have ever 
spoke of it, but back in the day, I've had many, many people say, like back in the 60s when they were originally painting the inside, it was just to cover up in uh, inconsistencies in the wood. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. So it just looked better. I mean, I guess some people claim it makes a sound. I don't think it does. I have Ludwigs that have the white paint. I have Ludwigs that don't have the white paint. They all sound like Ludwigs. Right. So... Yeah, I, I mean, and I, I know with Gretsch that it was at the time the Silver Sealer thing also for them served a purpose of um, just kind of protecting the shell from mildew and stuff. Right. But, but I think you're right. It just kind of covers up the imperfections in the wood, allows you to not have to pick such a glamorous piece of wood for the inside. Exactly. That's to sound nice. good, not look good. Yeah. All right, let's do one more. Or you got to Yes, split? sir. All right, yeah, so go ahead. one more. We've got. Um, oh. Oh, this is a pretty interesting one. So my friend Emmanuel, who's out, um, ah, shoot, who's he on tour with? Uh, sorry. He's an E-man. He goes by E-man. Uh, he's, he's playing like huge shows. Like he's playing, um, Mets, Mets stadium and stuff like oh. that. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> not like CBGB's. Sorry, man. It's late at night. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the flu. It's 10 PM where Mike is. We're just doing everything we can to get through this one. Oh, so anyway, he's he um, he recently got a bunch of sticks from Vader. He's a Vader artist. Okay. But he doesn't break sticks a lot. So he's he's worried about them drying out because he's getting on airplanes and going to mm-hmm. different climates and stuff. So he's like, he's asking, what should I do to keep these sticks from drying out? Because he's noticed a couple of them have become a little bit more fragile. He thinks because they've just been unused for so long. Yeah, I mean, that's how all of this stuff starts is you're dealing with dowels. You've got dowels of wood, and the water content in that wood is giving the dowel value. The less water content that is in that dowel, the cheaper that dowel becomes because it it will become more fragile. So, And I don't know if this is still the case, but for a really long time, Vic Firth and Promark were at 7% water content in their dowels, which is furniture-grade wood. And then Vader was at 10% water content, which is striking material wood, like axe handles and hammer handles. That's actually a huge difference. And when I moved from Vic Firth to Vader, I asked for a, a comparable pair of sticks to what I had already been playing in Vic Firth, which they had in their lineup. And I was like, this isn't right. These are so much heavier. And Chad Brandley and Vader had to explain to me that's because we have more water. This doesn't make it better or worse. It's just different. So um, what was happening was I was like, oh, so I might actually have to size down Invader because they're heavier sticks just by nature because they have 3% more water content in the dowel. Mm-hmm. Um, what's shocking is if you guys saw what a, a stick dowel looks like, even for a 7A, it's damn near the size of a baseball bat. <laughs> I mean, they're actually pretty big pieces of wood that get um, chopped down. And then with something like Vader, they're using knives to cut these sticks. Uh, Vic Firth and Promark, I believe, are using grinders. So they're introducing water as the process is going on. And all of these are tried and true methods. I can tell you this as a guy that played for Vic Firth. I've, I am a Vader artist now, and I'm a huge fan of Promark. I think those three companies and Regal Tip as well make very, very high quality products. You're just really coming down to personal preference. As far as drying out, I don't know that I, I don't know that I noticed it ever happen with travel or anything or different climates. Climates, I'm sure that is a possibility, um, but it's usually just the age of the wood. As the water is evaporating out of the stick, that's where the bowing tends to happen, and that's where the brittle sticks happen. If you ever go to your music store and you start rolling sticks. I, I promise you this. Vic Firth, Vader, Promark, they didn't ship the sticks bent. Right. They couldn't even leave the factory like that. What happens is that that store, they've got this little bucket of sticks. And every time you pick one pair of sticks, there's just this one pair that's been there for like seven years that keeps falling to the bottom oh, yeah. and never gets chosen. So seven years later, it's totally bent. And then you and then you go tell your friends, oh, yeah, Promark sucks. And it's like, whoa. Slow down. That was that's been there forever. So that's what happens as as water evaporates. I mean, do you think? Have you ever noticed that traveling messed with your sticks at all? Yeah, you know, I never thought about it, but I've definitely had some that that started to fray a little bit, kind of unusually. And it's probably okay. from those were the ones that are in my like my t- not touring stick bag, but it's a stick bag that I when I play bigger production shows, so the lights uh-huh. are hotter. So right. maybe that's what's happened with E Man. By the way, he's on tour with Andy Grammer. Okay. If you're familiar with, he's a, a pretty big pop act right now. He's playing City Field um, 
which is a post game for a Mets post game here in a couple of weeks. So, jeez, big gig, great drummer. Uh, his, well, congrats he goes by to Emmanuel. E man, yeah, everyone check him out. He's been listening to the show and, and sending me some great stuff. So this was a good one. So I think maybe for him, it's I don't. I think he probably needs to not put so many sticks on stage. Maybe maybe if they're under the yeah. lights. Yeah, it could be that. I mean, you know, and it, and it's tough too. I mean, luckily when since I'm a Vader artist, I know what he's receiving, and they're coming in bricks. They're all sealed in plastic, yeah. and it might be just a good idea to not open them all up and put them in your stick bag, but just kind of have as many as it takes to get you through a night. You know, four um, per per night or four pairs per night or whatever, um, depending on the gig, and just kind of ration them. And, you know, maybe even it wouldn't be a bad idea since you are a Vader artist to talk to Chad Brandolini and just say, hey, can you just make sure that when I order my sticks next time that they're kind of hand chosen as the newest batch, the most water content possible, the most fresh sticks? Because, you know, it doesn't matter what company makes them. These these things are (laughs) wood. There's natural properties to them. Yeah. There's rainfall involved. There's a lot of factors. And so, you know, I mean, I think, I think we all know what it's like to pull out a pair of sticks fresh out of our bag and in two hits they just snap into kindling and we're like, whoa. <laughs> and it's like that's not the company's fault. That's a very old pair of wood, you know. So, yeah. uh, man, I mean, God, have you ever talked to Alan Vader about like his – I don't know if it was his dad or his grandfather making like sticks – for Buddy Rich by hand, like carving sticks for him. <laughs> no, but that's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty rad, man. I mean, that's just to think that back in the day, like you had your stick guy. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm going to stop by and Mr. Vader's going to make me a pair of sticks. One for, oh, one for the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one for the stage and then one spare. If you break a stick, you're like, oh, great. Now I got to go back to Boston. <laughs> so awesome, man. <laughs> okay, I'm going to die. Uh, all right, let's get into our picks of the week. Do you have a pick of the week? <laughs> I do, and it's actually something I meant to bring up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about in-ears. Um, okay. I got this pair by a company called AudioFly. Which, okay. These are not custom molds. These are just, you know, stick them in your ear. But Is that what you're wearing right now? No, these are okay. old, old M-Audios. Um, okay. But I use these in my studio because I don't want to have the custom molds in all the time and constantly be twisting and yanking my ear canal with <laughs> getting them in and out. Sure. So these are just kind of your <coughs> standard, you know, non-custom mold in-ears, but they sound amazing. And really? I don't, and the isolation is great. Like, I don't have any problems with having to turn them up too loud because the drums are bleeding. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. I think they're probably a couple hundred bucks. That's not I don't bad. Remember. Um, I don't and have the, And you said they stay in? Yeah, they're great. I mean, I, I really oh. don't have a need to get my... Uh, custom molds out i just keep my custom molds for live gigs now so oh, audio awesome, fly man. i know they have a bunch of different models so you can check them out they probably describe these on there as kind of a drummer focused in here but i don't even know how many i don't know anything about them i don't know how many drivers they have or anything oh here we go they are af 140s check them out you're so lucky dude <laughs> <laughs> even though i hate that word just people are like hey uh Here's this. It's really expensive. Just so we just want we just want to get you to just tell us something about it. Check them out. That's cool, though. I, I mean, one thing I know that most I would assume. Now I don't know this. You and I have never actually spoken about, but I'm assuming 99 percent of everything that comes in for any kind of review you have to send back, right? You oh just yeah. Just keep yeah, like no. kits and stuff. So, exactly. but I mean, just the fact that as a customer, you're when you buy a snare, you really know what's going on because you you had the chance to actually play it rather than just see it online and stuff, you know? Um, yeah, it is. It is very cool. fortunate. I mean, I, I don't take it for granted. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, my pick of the week is an album called parachute and I haven't had a chance to ask you if you know who this is, but it's, it's a drummer composer by the name of Magnus Ostrom, I believe. Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay. So I knew nothing about it. Uh, just somebody contacted me on Facebook and said, Hey, I know you like, these specific artists, you should check out Magnus Ostrom. Um, and it's really a very cool conceptual album. It's not overly drummy at all. I think it's definitely more coming from a composer's state of mind than a drummer's state of mind. But almost every single song is composed around um, uh, odd groupings. So it's all oh, wow. three, fives, and sevens. So almost every piece is bum bum to bum 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 to bum bum to bum 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 to bum bum to bum bum bum. Except for that's the music, but the drumming doesn't do the bum bum to bum bum bum. It's really smart, smart 
drumming that's complementing these odd groupings. But it's it's just kind of one of those things where it wasn't even until maybe the fourth or fifth listen through the entire album that I was like, wait a minute, every single song has been threes and fives and a couple sevens. Uh, so it's it's composed really well. Um, and like I said, it's you can kind of tell that it's a drummer's album, but it's not in your face at all. Um, so yeah, Magnus Ostrom, O-S-T-R-O-M. Both the O's have those cool two little dots. Maybe you know what that's called because I do not. Umlauts. Um, okay. Didn't I call they have umlauts? that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to trust you on that. Um, and the album is called Parachute. So I can't remember who found me on Facebook and recommended it. I, you uh, know what? I think I'm, I'm looking through my feed now because I think I think uh, someone had sent me this as well. Oh, okay. A listener. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really good album. And I actually listen to it a lot, not for the drum geek. I mean, just for musical enjoyment. I listen to it at the gym all the time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It, it's something that I, I haven't, I haven't taken it upon myself to check out more of his stuff yet. Um, just because the, that album has, is so dense for me right now, but mm. Magnus Ostrom parachute. Beautiful. Well, uh, <coughs> dear Lord, congratulations to us for making it through this listeners. Thank you for putting up with us. Mike and I have had quite the week, and we didn't want to let you down, so we had to, I'm actually doing this during the camper's dinner break right now, and then as soon as we hang up, then we go to a photo shoot from here, and then we have a live shed that goes until 10, so uh, just know that this podcast has, if it's important to you, you just need to know that it's become extremely important to Mike and myself, and we know what it means to people. I think that that was maybe one of our biggest goals was to hear those words that we hear on other podcasts from listeners where people say, Hey, you really made my day, my daily commute much better. I mean, that's the dream. Like yeah. we can't ask for any higher compliment for that. If we can just get you feeling like you're more involved in the drum world in this world that Mike and I love so much. Uh, and we can just kind of keep you on the journey with us and that you really understand that Mike and I and you guys were all on this journey together. We're all trying to get better at this frustrating instrument and we're all trying to learn more and there's not enough time in a single lifetime to learn all there is about the drums. So why don't we just share our knowledge? If you get that, then you get us and you know why we're doing this with influenza type A and <laughs> and Mike going through like crazy gigs and studio sessions at 10 p.m. recording from his house. So thanks for making the time to do this with me, buddy. Yeah, you too, man. I feel better. Will do. Yeah, next, next, I mean, dude, have you heard the intro yet? Because I did it this morning. No, I haven't. It's so rough. It's like, welcome to episode 45. Uh, <laughs> thanks for getting off your ass and listening to this stupid podcast. I just want to go home and blow my nose. <laughs> I will <laughs> so, never, I will never make fun of your sickness ever again. Because it was literally you. last week and I said, don't fall down and hit your head again. I know. Dude, <laughs> it's, it's once a decade. We're good now. It, on my 50th birthday, it's going to be rough, but right now we're good. <laughs> All, right, so. All right, buddy. I'll see you soon. Later. Later, bro.